Hi there, Peter Williams here. Hey, did you ever wonder how RCR is funded? Well, we're grassroots funded, which means everyday Kiwis contribute to keeping us on air. If you want us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives and a reality check you won't get anywhere else, then please visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, if you um, kind of go through all the uh, international news stories at the moment and, and follow certain commentators, you'd think that we're on the doorstep of World War Three. Are we? Well, um, there's so much to talk about in terms of foreign policy and New Zealand's place in the world, let alone all the other things going on. And we thought uh, um, an excellent person to talk about this, to get his view on where things are at now, given his historical perspective as well and experience. Uh, Matt Robson, barrister and former Associate Foreign Minister under Helen Clark, joins us. Happy New Year, Matt. Thanks for coming on. That's it. I think it's uh, almost the Chinese New Year, so it's still a New Year somewhere. So okay, it's always and the Iranian New Year somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, okay. Big picture stuff. I mentioned, and it might be a little bit dramatic. World War Three, but it does seem that globally, there's all these sorts of conflicts sort of brewing that could end up. Well, I don't know, in an actual you know global war, but certainly with warfare globally. Yeah, I think obviously it's a dangerous set of situations at the moment. But some perspective on that, which is necessary, is that it's not the first time that the world has been sitting on tinderboxes. I mean, uh, I'm old enough now to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything that flowed from that. And a lot has come out since that, of course, but there was great fear that that would be the beginning of a a nuclear war, the end of us all. It was a dangerous situation, but but it didn't happen. And there have been a number of uh, crises uh, since that and terrible wars and and, uh, issues. But certainly it's, uh, at the moment, you've got, as far as I can count, three uh, spots of of great tension and clashing. The war in the Ukraine, uh, now the Middle East, which probably one of the things we discuss at the moment, it's right on everybody's um, agenda at the moment. But also in our area, uh, the Korean Peninsula and the uh, American-China standoff, which New Zealand is, has to be part of. I'm not saying what's what they should do, but uh, it, we can't just ignore it. So uh, those three big issues in the world, and there are other other spots of things going on which can spark uh, something, but always leaders should remember that nobody at the time in 1914 thought the war would be sparked by an assassination in the little country of Serbia yeah, because the big tension was in Europe between the, the uh, Germany and, and Russia and France and Britain facing off with the Americans looking on in splendid isolation. Um, but it was that event that triggered off the events. So it could be somewhere else that uh, a spark begins, and that perhaps brings us to the question of what's happening uh, in the what's called the Red Sea and uh, and Yemen and and the issues of Gaza. Well, we'll get we'll get to those. You mentioned Ukraine, and uh, that's you know that's been in our faces for quite a while now. Seems to me, and I think you made uh, reference to this in an opinion piece you did on stuff that uh, we are very badly informed about that whole thing from woe to go, right? 
Yes, I did. Um, and it, it saddens me, actually, uh, that uh, such an important issue, there's not respect paid. I mean, I pay respect to people who've got a particular position uh, on the Ukraine war, but when I engage with them, I, I, I like them to tell me uh, what their sources are, what they've been doing, what investigations. And I notice that uh, a politician uh, who's on, on the right of politics in New Zealand, Don Brash, has actually, uh, he, he and I actually share a similar uh, uh, view on the origins of what's happening in the Ukraine and the need for greater study. So just to perhaps show what I'm talking about, I'm on the left of politics, obviously, no, no secret about that. But for my sins, I've I started to attend uh, Labour Party policy conferences. They, that many, some of them asked me to come, and then they didn't ask me. But anyway, they asked me at the beginning. And I talked to a number of Labour uh, cabinet ministers at the time and uh, members of parliament to discuss their position on the war in the Ukraine. Unanimously, they call me uh, a puppet of President Putin. Um, uh, and it reminded me, I'm not that old, but I mean, my father and mother grew up in the Cold War and were left-wing people, and they told me you know, that you just had to open your mouth and say something, and you were told to go back to Russia, even if you were talking about the local playground, having a you know a swing put into it or something. But, but the atmosphere, uh, they explained to me, and I say I didn't listen, but I read about it, was one where other opinions, right, left, centre, if they didn't fit the narrative, were just dismissed by that type of attack rather than talking about the issue. So back to my my position on the war in the Ukraine. I asked these ministers and members of parliament first, what do you think of the Minsk agreements? Well, they lied to me. They didn't know anything about them. I, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I just can't believe that. Well, they hadn't read them. They some of some of them knew the name, but they didn't know that this was an international agreement. Now, there's various opinions on who sabotaged it and who didn't, but it was a very very important set of agreements guaranteed by the Germans and the French. And since then, since I had that discussion, Angela Merkel came out and uh, Francois Hollande, who was the president at the time, and even the president of Ukraine at the time, uh, Poroshenko and said, well, we didn't really mean it. It gave us a lot of time, for time to turn Ukraine into a very powerful military state. So I, I, my, my charge and challenge to those MPs, and in my article, was that members of parliament weren't doing their job. They might unanimously have come down and said and declared this was Russian aggression, but I've seen no evidence that any of them have done any deep study. Now, just to buttress that, there's a book by a Swiss intelligence officer or former Swiss intelligence officer, NATO intelligence officer called Jacques Baud. And uh, he's a military expert. He took part in the uh, OCSC, which was the, the Organization of Europe monitoring the ceasefire, expert on Russia and Eastern Europe from a NATO perspective. He was one of the planners and speaks Russian and reads Russian. He wrote a book and said, uh, hey, I've only, I don't want to be accused of being a Putin puppet because I think this is NATO's war. That was his opinion. This is NATO's war. It was well planned, and he goes into the various documents on that. He says, I only use Western sources. Now, look, I don't want to overburden 
a discussion with all these names. And But this is one example. Members of parliament and cabinet ministers, they'll tell me they're busy. Now, one of the strengths I think I have, I've been, I had five cabinet portfolios. I had a party, the alliance, which was falling apart, so I had to deal with party members. I had people come to me, you know, have to do, I'm not saying I, I, I was more doing more than I should have. That's what I got paid for, and to see people. And the number of MPs who tell me I'm too busy, I can't read, they have the time that you and I don't have. We have to get up and we don't have our phone paid for and our transport, uh, you know, all the things you need to do your job or, or a bevy of people to advise you. And if you're not a cabinet minister, and in fact, even if you are, I've said to them, use the parliamentary library. They mm -hmm. have researchers got nothing to do. I used to ring them, and now you could perhaps go online and do a lot of yourself, but I used to ring them. They would be at my door in 30 minutes with a heap of material because they wanted to be useful. I just right. use that. I do not believe our current members of parliament, or perhaps the new ones will, I don't but in the past, and cabinet ministers do their independent job. And one last thing, if I may, because you can see I'm on my high horse here, so I'll get it off in a minute uh, and put it in the stable, is that on the question of Ukraine, whatever position you come to, we've gone to war with one of the most powerful countries in the world. Russia. Yeah. They say yeah. we're not at war, but if you send Stinger missiles or whatever else, we send 15 million pounds to the British to buy weapons, you send people to train to kill Russians, you sanction Russia, you're at war. Sanctions are war, whether you call it war or not. Now, that's a pretty big decision. I cannot believe that in a parliament of 120-odd people, not odd people, but 121, that there wasn't one voice or two voices who said, hang on a minute, let's have a bit further of a discussion. What about the Minsk agreements? What about the NATO documents going back to 92 with the particular view on what should happen with Russia? What about Berezinski's book, The Grand Chessboard? Yeah. Hey, let's split Russia up into three. You might come down in support of it, but where was the debate in the parliament which we could turn on and listen to it? And just one other example I can give to, they went to war very like cavalierly. And then when I asked cabinet ministers, because, you know, I, it was a small country, and so a lot of them you went to university with, or well, me in my place, or just know them. You know, so it's, that's one good thing about our country. <laughs> but they, they would say to me, they say, oh, that's the position, that's for the foreign minister, that's for them, that's not me. Uh, it, they ducked the question. But I said, no, no, when you go to war, it's everybody, your whole yeah. party has to engage in a debate. When I first joined the Labour Party, uh, I was 17 or 16. Um, Not that long ago. The first <laughs> debates on the war in Vietnam. Absolute yeah. chaos, mayhem, shouting, good. There was debate about what should be being done. But not now. When I went to the Labour Party policy conference, mum, quiet, and yet this, well, let's go back, perhaps if I, if I may, to what you said about where the war, it's not only the war in the Ukraine and we're at war with Russia and, and Russia's allies and by extension, tension with them can happen with China, the biggest economy soon to be in the world. No discussion at that at that Labour Party meeting, and that's where it should, in my opinion, I, when I would go back to the Vietnam War, there was me, you know, all students, we all had our hair as long as yours, longer, Mm -hmm. Phil Goff coming in looking like Che Guevara and shouting at the platform 
later to become a, you know, a responsible statesman. Yeah, very, very transition. Uh, great. Yeah. We learn how to have the transition. Yeah. But people would have been quite shocked to go back and see the young Phil Goff as he, he was, you know, he was really revolutionary. And uh, I'm not saying it was good or bad, but it was, <laughs> that was the party, you know. And, and I think they were the better for it because, you know, even if we were intolerant, I mean, I, as a young person, you're always intolerant. I was. Old people didn't know, not, didn't know anything. Um, it's Matt, it's reckless, isn't it? Because when you're committing New Zealanders, okay, it's a handful um, in terms of direct assistance, uh, I think, training, etc. But uh, also we've, um, you know, put a lot of hard-earned taxpayer money towards this in the tens of millions and said strident things. Um, if you kind of look at um, what Russia is today, I mean, it's a Christian, Orthodox Christian country, um, it's not a dictatorship. Um, there are elections, and if 80% or more support the uh, president, well, so be it. I've seen uh, big, long um, um, sessions with journalists with Putin. They ask him the most difficult questions, way more difficult than I see New Zealand politicians being asked by journalists here, and he answers them. Kind of questions that, if you believe the the what is said, would sort of land you in, in a gulag. That doesn't seem to happen, and it seems that uh, also that uh, they're very sophisticated. Their industry is um, at um, you know world class level. Um, we they deserve some kind of respect, yet there is that complete sort of put down of them, and maybe you know the the whole thing with Trump and. The ginned up um, dossier and all that uh, was the on ramp to that. But it, isn't it reckless of New Zealand politicians to commit our people and our resources to a uh, fight that is really a proxy war that uh, is incredibly dodgy, being led by a US administration, yes. fronted by a guy who's obviously got problems? I mean, this is not a good situation to be in for a first world nation like ours. And it feels like we could be sleepwalking into something that just is going to slap us around the face so hard at some point. Well, I think even more than sleepwalking is, is a famous book on the first war, which you might be referring to. I've forgotten the name of the, the historian, but he calls it you know, sleepwalking to, to, to war, first world war. They're actually going with their eyes open to... <laughs> Uh, and, and our present foreign minister, Mr. Peters, and Judith Collins are, are saying things which I'm quite astounded with as to saying we've shifted uh, to this position. Uh, no no debate. And b- back on the question of uh, President Putin and Russia. Yes, um, I'm impressed when I, uh, when I hear him speak, impressed in the sense that he answers questions uh, quite clearly. He's obviously an, an intelligent man. And in comparison with some of the states people in uh, Western Europe and North America, well, particularly with the president, 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 he's a lot sharper than the president, president of America. And I, I should be careful there because I'm getting older too, and I may also suffer memory loss. But the um, the demonization doesn't help now. And so we, President Putin, who at one stage was touted as a friend and, and after he was taken over from the drunk Yeltsin. I mean, Yeltsin was a president who only had to send him bottles of vodka a crate mm. a day, and he was yours. He'd, he'd give you the, the state industry, that state industry, a bit of money here, a bit of money there, 
President uh, Clinton put his arm around him and said, my friend Boris, and when Boris was drunk, and I know that I, I saw him speak when, as a young member of parliament, younger member of parliament, in, when I was at a conference in Moscow, when they were on sort of our side, and the president was drunk. You know, he was on the stage. It lasted seven minutes. And right. they, they used that. So uh, Putin comes along, no matter what you think of his policies, and he suddenly says, hey, I'm going to run this place as we see it, as Russia sees it. And that's when the, the problems began. And, of course, the other thing, although he speaks Russian, he speaks German as well. And so they read the news. They seem to read, unlike our own politicians, they seem to read all the newspapers and all the documents. They read all the NATO documents saying we're going to surround Russia. Russia is one of our major enemies. They were declaring it. It's in their papers. That's the other thing uh, our people should do. We've joined. We're now a, a collaborating, what do we call non non-member cooperating partner of, of NATO. We're deeply involved uh, with NATO. And how could that be possible, Matt? Because we're nowhere bloody near it. Well, that, yes, I think it's one of those things with acronyms. It's better to say North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and then people say, what a thing out of it. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. But they've been going what they call out of area for a long, long time. In yeah. fact, when they were started, look, this is what I'm getting at with members of parliament. They don't, nothing, they don't do any research on NATO. We're, we're part of this organization. Surely have a think about, is it a good, is it good, is it bad? They just accept it, defense democracy. When it was set up in 1949, one of the key things it did was to support the French in Vietnam. <laughs> and that didn't turn out too well. Yeah, which is not Europe. No, no. Well, not Europe, that's right. Out of out of out of area and not exactly a democrat they have you know we're democratic values. They had in NATO Portugal, which had a fascist dictator Salazar. They didn't join up Franco, who was in charge of Spain at the time. He wasn't a very nice man, um, but but they de facto they did because they knew it was bad publicity. We're democratic. They joined up Turkey, which is also not. Uh, shining democracy and so forth and everything was out of order out of area nato was supporting the holding of the colonies the dutch and indonesia the french there and they chopped and changed so you come to out of area and yes it's now in the pacific Uh, nato is in the pacific up against china and the british are back in the pacific with two uh, uh, ships permanently stationed there the french of course have a huge base in tahiti our area is no longer just the Pacific. So back to what our people in Parliament, where's any study and agreement on the on the NATO? So, and Putin read them and right along said, they're after us. We've been invaded before, Operation Barbarossa. We've tried in, in the Ukraine. Um, we're not going to stand by. We're going to do something. And the whole, and of course... We don't even discuss the civil war that went on in Ukraine for so long, for mm. 2014. 14,000 14, killed there. Uh, over the Don, and 30 million uh, Ukrainians speak uh, Russian. And yeah. and Ukraine is made is a, is a country, it is, Putin said, it's cobbled together, but it is. Poland wants part of it back. Hungary wants part of it back. The Hungarian Prime Minister, Orbán, has said, well, if they lose this war, which they're going to, Ukraine. Well, they have already, I think. Haven't yeah, they? The, the, we want back that part of Hungary, which is taken by the Ukraine, uh, which you know, after the Second World War, and Poland wants it back. Yeah. And so oh the complexities of 
this was set aside. And when President Zelensky spoke to the New Zealand Parliament, I was so ashamed. It was, okay, he can speak to the Parliament, but there were no questions. There was no depth in their question. There was just adulation. You're the new Winston Churchill. Well, by the way, if you know the history... There's no way you can ever make that claim. I wouldn't want to be called Winston Churchill either. He was anti-Semitic. He was racist. He talked about niggers. He didn't like Jews. Okay, he was a great man in history, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. But I don't just, know if Zelensky. That's, that's just one thing about uh, the, the accusations, which stops discussion on President Putin. Now that was done on Saddam Hussein. He was the new Hitler. There's always been new Hitlers. You know, the, uh, Abbott, uh, Khomeini was the new Hitler, and so mm. forth. Mm. And particularly Israel uses that now to anybody who's got a position against the state of Israel, as against uh, being an anti-Semite and wanting to harm and kill Jews. Um, that a person is a supporter of Hitler or this or that. Now, when we did that uh, on Saddam Hussein, or the Americans in particular called him the Hitler, um, then sort of made a, you know, let's invade that country. And people who were opposed to the war in Iraq didn't mean they supported Saddam Hussein. Yeah. People who supported the Russians in the Second World War didn't mean they liked Hitler who was a psychopath and a mass murderer and had killed more communists than anybody. They were supporting the fact that a, a sovereign country was invaded by Germany and, and everything goes with it. So it didn't mean you supported Stalin. Or even if you come to agree with the United States that any particular president you support, that's the idiocy if we're going to have an independent country let's have let's be led by parliamentarians who think and accept debate so just if i can just say that point when i watched the zelensky thing and particularly i was disappointed in the green leadership mr shaw they just gave this adulation now did any of them do any research on the check of history of president zelensky who by the way i think is what i've been reading as I try every day to read the European newspapers as well, he's gone in about a month. He's trying to sack the head of the army. Zeluzhny, yeah. He's trying to, yeah. Good luck with that. And Zelensky won't go. And Poroshenko, the former president, is backing Zelensky. So Zelensky is getting more and more isolated. And also he won his election as a peace candidate to support the Minsk agreements. They put a gun at his head and said, you're dead. If- <laughs> well, he's probably dead anyway, Matt, because he's got 500,000 potentially young, and not so young now because the 60-year-olds are turning up on the battlefield, um, uh, deaths um, on his hands. And the Ukrainian people are not, they can only, that, that will only hold so long before they... Yes, it's uh, it's, it's just a, and we've crazy. and we're all in with that. This is this is the it's thing. Tragedy. Said- and those commentators who weren't Russian puppets, like Jeffrey Sachs and others, who said we're using Ukraine. Oh, and and many United States diplomats who knew the situation. The yeah. one, the former, I forgot his name, but the former Jeff Matlock, I think, uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Russia, said, you know, we're going to fight the last Ukrainian. Uh, we're, we're using them, and we've trained them. We built up this big army. Well, that's evil, isn't it? Really, in the end, so that's just throwing people into a meat grinder, you know, without any care at all. So, I guess my my point is that the big responsibility of cabinet ministers and members of parliament, as public servants, to do their job and research on these big topics, and put to us. Perhaps if I could just 
instance what's happening in the Yemen. Now, yep. they all their views on on the what's Ansar Allah call them, like the Western media call them the Houthi. But for seven years, they've been bombarded illegally and terribly by Saudi Arabia, backed by the United States. And they suffered that. Nobody uh, fired rockets at well, the United States Navy, didn't fire rockets at Saudi Arabia to stop them. Well, no, they were selling the weapons. They, were, they gave them the weapons, and so did it's, the British. It's business. And that's where Prince Charles, or favorite place to go when he was the salesman for BAE, to go to the uh, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. but the, the, the question, so why don't on our television, why don't we ask the leadership of Yemen to explain why they feel so strongly about what is an, obviously an illegal war in the occupied territory of Gaza, occupied territory. It's not part of the, the legal territory of Israel, as much as Israel's a legal state. And they haven't sunk anything. They've attacked and pretty been pretty clear to, to attack shipping and to, to try going to Palestine. Well, it's it's spooking the insurance industry is basically what it's doing. Yeah, and so they've been quite effective. They're the one state, little state, who've been able to say, hey, this is, everyone's saying, oh, it's terrible, we should stop this war. And they've said, hey, <laughs> let's hit Israel where it hurts economically. As the United, the United States are saying, we're going to make sure it's humanitarian. They can stop it tomorrow, because without their money and their weapons and their guns, it couldn't happen. In terms of our the nuclear-free kind of legacy, and I know that you, you were right at the centre of that. It seems that we're moving away from that as well. Um, the foreign minister um, and uh, and Judith Collins, I forget what her um, defence minister, I guess, have, have been in Australia. And this Alcus thing seems to be talked about. $368 billion price tag for the Australians. God knows how they're going to afford that. Again, it's the industrial military complex printing money opportunities. What's your feeling about the look of that, and where do you think it's going? Well, it's going towards New Zealand being apart. Um, the, the value of New Zealand is you, you, because you know we obviously haven't got great military clout. We can, through the Five Eyes, contribute to the plans of, of the large powers of the United States and the UK. We spy on people. We we can you know give quite good. Um, uh, ability to get intelligence and all that type of thing mm. involved with that. Um, so it's been made clear by uh, the foreign minister and we're going to be more in line with Five Eyes, if they, like when Ron Marks made statements against China and then Labour backed off. I mean, there was some difference in Nyamahuta. But then they were pressured and, and brought back into line. Andrew Little made it clear when he was uh, Defence Minister, I think, that, uh, yes, we should be going into uh, second. We should be looking at the second pillar. Uh, Hipkins and others were obviously nervous because of the very strong position in New Zealand to be nuclear weapon free, uh, which I know as the Minister for Disarmament gave us enormous credibility around the world with people looking to New Zealand to say, well, you know, you got rid of, you not being taken part in nuclear weapons. But the track back into uh, this AUKUS, and you're quite right to pay attention to a lot of people going to make money behind this uh, highfalutin stuff about defending Australia, etc. There's also people counting the dollars. Oh, this looks good. Nuclear it's subs are not cheap. And Australia's got a big defence industry, a big defence industry. And there are people here salivating, uh, I know, I've met some of them, wanting to 
be part of that uh, defense industry, you know, because there's money, obviously. The Ukraine war, the United States uh, military complex, the, the stocks have gone up. The Gaza war, they're making a killing or killing. Yeah. Good way. yeah. But uh, so back to Orcas, yes, but the, the way to hell was paved. When Jacinda went to the first NATO conference in uh, Madrid and said, you know, we were nuclear free, but hang on, we're signing up to you. The NATO doctrine is first strike. They don't even say we'll wait to attack. They have the very clear principle, if we want to use nuclear weapons before anyone uses against them, we will if we decide on it. That undercuts our principal position, which we keep talking about, of being nuclear weapon free. And, and I, as the minister, sold that around the world. I felt good, you know. I felt, well, here I am representing yeah. I'm virtuous. Um, <laughs> not knowing at the time that our intelligence and military people were assuring their counterparts in the United States that, don't worry, you know, we're, we're with you and one day this lot will be gone. So Jacinda goes off there. Her Minister of Disarmament, Phil Twyford, was in uh, Vienna, uh, the Treaty Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons anniversary, extolling New Zealand's position. He's at that time been kicked out of Cabinet, taken the fall for the housing problems, and given this job, which which said to everybody, it's not important because he's on the way out. He was on the way out. They give him. Yeah, so that's how they viewed disarmament. And so, who did they listen to? They listened to Jacinda Ardern and said, "Don't worry about all this. New Zealand's on our side." And Phil's, because I know I had had friends who were at that conference from different countries saying, "What's your minister of disarmament on about?" Your prime minister's in Madrid saying, "Hey, we're all the way with you." And then Hipkins went to Latvia and gave the same message. So back to where we are in the Pacific. That's they want New Zealand both for its flag and as a democratic nation. New Zealand gets pushed. If New Ze- and it does work around the world. Oh, if New Zealand's doing that, there must be something to it because they're a really right. multicultural, democratic, wonderful little country, green as anything, you know, all the stuff. And that's why the Americans, well, they don't care less about us. They treat us with contempt. They, the New Zealanders, they know they can put them at the table and pat them on the head and say, good on you, buddy. And our people fall for it. Uh, that's my opinion. Oh, that's so cringy. Really and when I saw Jacinda uh, talking to Kurt Campbell, because I follow these things in my life, on uh, one of the conferences was here, the conference she had here two years ago. She just, uh, it was a love fest, you know. Uh, you're back in the Pacific. We've missed you. Uh, you're wonderful. So out of her head went the war in Vietnam, five million people dead. The war in Korea, which went on, whatever. She's, right, she's people, too young for that. Matt, too young to, to register well, that. We know about Jesus Christ, and he was 2,000 years ago. Okay. Yeah. There's a book. There's things I, I say to them, you know, they'll throw that sometime. There's a book. You can read a book. The um, reframing of this part of the world, what do they call it now, Indo-Pacific? Yes. It was Asia-Pacific. Yes, yeah, there's something in that, isn't there? That, yes, that, that's is. a willful change of, yeah. of naming, yeah, isn't it? Very good. You, you picked that up. You change the language. And uh, it brings in India, and they want India uh, to confront China. The poor old Indians, you know, getting lined up to have a war with China. You think they're smart enough to realise it? They must be. They've been around for a while. Well, their leader, Modi, is pretty good at ducking and diving. I mean, he supports the Israelis in the war there because 
they support him with Hindu nationalization, uh, with the, turning India from a, from Nehru's secular democracy. The Constitution of India says we're secular. There's no religion. You can have your religion. You can be a Hindu. You can be that. But he's using the Hindu religion as the thousand year history, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One hundred million Muslims in, living in fear. Okay, a lot going on. In, but no, there's another country that we're not paying a lot of attention to, and our members of parliament blithely go along to celebrations, which uh, are celebrations of Hindu supremacy. So uh, start thinking about it, because it's a big country, and um, if war begins and things... But it's back to the Indo-Pacific. Yes, it's to bring uh, that in, and to spread out the net. So you've got NATO, Europe, yep. in the Indo-Pacific... And then in the sorry, Indian Ocean, then in the Pacific, it's all over the world. I mean, NATO has NATO has a base in Colombia. Wow. Okay. To uh, look after the interests. I mean, the French have still got territory there. The uh, the Dutch have still got influence and their own territories. And of course, the Americans with the Monroe Doctrine, deeply involved in Central America, Latin America, always have been. So they use NATO all over the world and back here in the Pacific. In in our backyard, as it's being called by yeah. someone, uh, um, I think it was the Prime Minister, actually. I know Winston. Yes, it was just under and she fell into yeah. that trap called the backyard. Um, you know, um, the Chinese, uh, I think, um, very close relationship with the Solomon Islands. I think PNG is, is getting in close. So they're in that area. And, of course, we are very dependent on China. Um, and it seems that we're being set up to, in the end, make a make a choice between, what, Five Eyes, US, and China. It seems to me that China really just seems to want to do business, basically, well, um, even though they're communist and, and all of that. Um, it, it, I don't, I mean, what do I know? But I don't see any saber rattling from them. More let's just do business. We could be in a very difficult position between these two, perhaps we already are in that difficult position. Exactly. Well, you know, once again, take take China. It doesn't mean if uh, if we suggest, if anyone suggests, in my opinion, that we should not be confronting China. We should be trying to work with China, which was the position of John Key from a um, yeah very commercial point of view. John John is you know going to commit more more than I can make more money than I can. Well, he's got his eye and his brain attuned to, hey, how do you make money? And uh, it's New Zealand's biggest trading partner. He said, hey, whew, don't, let's do this. <clears throat> um, even under Jacinda Ardern, the Labour was nervous about that as well. And I think Luxon is as well. But there's great pressure coming to choose sides, as we saw in Australia under Morrison and then Albanese. He's backed off a little bit, but still his first call was to the United States. And China at the uh, you know, I mean, you can have criticisms of China. There's lots of things you want to criticize, sure. Um, as you can with any country. I mean, you know, the United States, shining democracy, New Zealand. So we're going to live in this world where we're a target as well. We're going to be able to cop it. But China hasn't invaded any other country. And they're talking about China flexing its muscle. Well, there again, our members of parliament do some history and look at, put themselves in the shoes of the Chinese. Things we could, my, my point was, yes. If we're going to be truly independent and just in the address and reply, Phil Twyford suddenly discovers New Zealand should have an independent. I look, I watched the address and reply the other day and he's getting up and saying, why are we taking orders from Washington? We used to take them from Britain. 
where's our independent foreign policy? And I thought, Phil. Well, where were you is the question. Yeah. Where were you when all this was happening? So it's all kind of BS. Um, it, it's been really fascinating talking with you. We can't um, ignore okay. the, um, you mentioned it before, Israel-Gaza thing. How, how do you think we're viewing that from this point of view, from this angle? With great fear. The government and the whole world knows that what's happening in occupied territory of Gaza is genocidal. And the ICJ decision, uh, they didn't order the ceasefire, but, you know, that's the ICJ but they accepted, got it, they've got it. I hope our politicians are actually reading it. Luxor didn't seem to have read the judgment. That seems to be the common thread here. It's right. very clear. They cite the statements of Israeli leaders, which are genocidal. They cite that. They cite the actions. They dismiss in one paragraph Israel's claim of self-defense in terms of its response to the yeah. 7th attack. They go through it and they basically say to Israel, well, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that because that's genocide. So if Israel actually did it, they'd stop. They'd have to stop. And then if the Americans followed the ICJ, they'd have to stop sending weapons, money, and say to the Israelis, hang on, there's going to be a ceasefire. We're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about the situation, which is not the Palestinians. Stop calling them this. Stop calling them that. It's 75 years of this going on. We need a serious discussion. Um, will our president, no, they, they, they said they don't want anyone to die. Well, nobody does, of course, but they've got to get to the source of it. But if they take on a, uh, independent view and, uh, say, well, look, the Palestinians, there are all the different factions, the Palestinians, Hamas, PLO, it's not just one Palestinian voice, but, you know, but the issues of the Palestinian people, the occupied territories of or West, West Bank, uh, the uh, policies of Israel, they all have to be genuinely discussed. And we are for a solution which gives the Palestinians some ground. Well, they're going to run into the Americans and the British. And uh, whether they, I don't think they were, so far it hasn't been, you know, they, 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 oh, anyway, they could say, hey, we don't accept. This has come to this because of the fact that Israel has been given, in Matt Robson's opinion, a free pass, and anti-Semitism has been weaponized so that anybody yep. who criticizes the Israeli government is told that they're supportive of the Holocaust and such nonsense. I mean, some of the... Albert Einstein wouldn't support the Israeli... Project. It's the get-out-of-jail-free card. They know they can get it. That's why they're so bold. As long as they have the support of the United States and Great Britain and the new Labour leader in Britain, Simon made it clear that he's not going to change the policy, that they don't care about the rest of the world. They know that the European Union is subordinate to the United States. Yep. So they don't care about the United Nations. They don't care about the ICJ as long as the Americans protect them. So... Um... Let's uh, finish off where we started. Um, should we be making plans for a world at war? Luckily, well, we're a long way away from it. But um, yeah, well, we're not actually long. Oh, I, I understand what you're saying, but yeah. people said that New Zealand's so far away. Uh, uh, we, I used to think that. Oh, we're pretty safe. No, no, we're in the Pacific. We're being drawn into this 
uh, NATO's doctrine very clear. China is the enemy. China is the enemy. I'm not making it up. That's what they say. People. Sh- that's the other thing. They should read the NATO documents came out of Latvia. Came- it's clear. That's projection, though, isn't it, Matt? Because... Okay, we can think of all the things that why China might be the enemy, a social credit system, um, you know, uh, uh, relentless uh, observation of people, all those things, communism. But that's exactly what's happening in the West as well. There's unprecedented monitoring of of people. There's censorship that's barefaced. We know about that. It's even happened here in New Zealand with the previous government. So... It's it's really just projection, isn't it? It is. We used to, the example we used to be given was Stasi in East Germany. They monitored people. Well, hello. <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. What did what did why is Julian Assange in prison? Because he printed all the documents of people being monitored, including the New Zealand government. You know, the two thousand he printed. You know, New Zealand being monitored. What the Americans thought of them? Yeah, uh, Angela Merkel's. Phones tapped all of the UN. Yeah, by, by millions, a, millions of Americans. They even blew up their their, their gas supply. You know, your ally is blowing up your industrial capacity. It's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, so many things that our people, we could, New Zealand could do it. We could become a country that says we're not going to just take anything. Okay, there's not just one view. There might be two, three, four views on a topic. Let's present them rationally. I had to fight with the New Zealand Herald to get my article in there. I said, I think it's of, of interest. I said, you know, I'm writing it from someone who's kind of got a particular standpoint, but, you know, I've got some background in this. They printed one, and then after that, a new set of issues they wouldn't. The Dominion, the Dominion printed it, you know, so I had another outlet and stuff printed it. Yeah, yeah. But a major New Zealand newspaper wouldn't. Put it there, and when I look at the New Zealand Herald, and my friends castigate me for still keeping my subscription, but it's a habit of a lifetime to get. It's the only paper I've got in Auckland that, um, and I can go online now, thank goodness. But I don't see on these issues one page devoted to this person's view. Experts get someone some credibility. Another one here of equal space. So that the reader, what I get is blaring headlines and names called, like Hamas are always gunmen, a terrorist. The Israeli Defense Force is acting in self-defense. Well, you could swap it around. But get some balance, I would like. I Even, look, there's a right-wing newspaper in Germany, which is better, the Frankfurt uh, Allgemeine Zeitung. It's very right-wing. But usually when you read it, they'll sometimes, well, quite often, they'll have very long articles. One here... And then over here, they'll have somebody else. At least you can read it and say, well, hmm. X is saying opposite of that. I'll use my brain. Le Monde Diplomatique in France. Uh, I'm only using them because I got used to reading them when I was in Europe. You know, They have different viewpoints. And articles that you need more than a reading age of 10 to read. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, dear. Well, I get on when I open the New Zealand Herald, I get first of all ads from Harvey Norman, um, front on the back page. Yeah, I think they collapse if Harvey Norman went out of business. <laughs> and then I get a, some of the stories are quite moving, but on the front page, always a tearjerker, always something, you know, and sometimes, you know, yeah, like a bad stories, but it's done, it's done to bring in readers rather than saying, what is the important. Issue and people abroad laugh at our newspapers. 
they say the only country in the world you pick up something that's important is going on in the world and you get something you know very parochial and very well it blows me away because obviously and in, in what we do we, we try and stay across things but um in everyday sort of discourse it, it blows me away how yeah i'd use the word ignorant and in fact almost willfully ignorant the average person is now. I don't know. It's because they don't have enough time on their hands. Life's too complicated, or they just don't want to know, or they're just brainwashable, or well, we have easily led brainwashed. I think, and uh, you know, I mean, one of the most uninformed countries in the world, sadly, but with many democratic rights, is the United States. And uh, the fact that a President Reagan could get away and say that the country of Nicaragua was only three days' march away, which is why they had to be tough on Nicaragua, when Nicaragua had three million people, a ragged army, very poor, had to go through, you know, people didn't know their geography, would have to go through, I think, Honduras and Mexico to even get to the United States. And he could come on as the president, and America said, my God, or they're frightened of Cuba. Uh, Cuba's got 10 million people, and Cuba's going to bring down the mighty United States. Well, you need to keep the industrial military complex pumped. Uh, The thing is, though, um, when did the Americans last win a serious conflict with a serious adversary? I've heard it described as uh, they've been clubbing baby seals for the last 40 years. And and it's kind of, it more serves the purpose of of, um, the industry of of weaponry and the way that um, trickles down to the donation sort of industry of politics than oh. actual, you know, fighting morally correct battles, you know, that um, that actually mean something. Well, I think the to go back to that uh, ignorance, yes, it is. And I'd actually, of course, for most working people, it is hard to find time, you know, if you've got a family and, but that's where the responsibility comes in. Members of parliament have time. Cabinet ministers have time. Yeah. The lead writers in, and that's their job in in the major media have time to to collect and put up balance, and give people a lead at least to start, particularly our young people. There's more than one viewpoint, and it's important what words you use. Yes, you might call someone a terrorist, but back it up, back it up, be balanced. Why are they a terrorist than the other person is a resistance fighter and vice versa? Yeah. Start thinking about it. Start thinking about the French resistance. You know, when you talk about resistance movements and why did we give them? They had all sorts of courage. They had monarchists. They had right wing. They had communists. They had Gaulists. You know, they all were resistance, but they were allowed to have their different viewpoints. So why aren't the Palestinians allowed to have this lot and that lot? And you know, and but talk about resistance. That's my opinion. But so I go back to the responsibility, uh, ignorance. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be total ignorance, but our time can be filled up with. Uh, but you, not Chomsky made the point that people aren't ignorant. You get someone onto sport and they know every single detail, but they just turn when politics come. Oh no, I can't stand that. I don't want to listen. I don't want yeah, to so they're capable of absorbing the the nuances and complexities of it, but they choose. If we could find the answer to that, we'd well get on get into a pub, and a lot of New Zealanders will tell you everything about the All Blacks from no, I've, I've witnessed it try to whether Razor is the yeah. best coach, and, yeah. and then who won this? And to who a forensic won. level of analysis, almost. Yeah, my father could tell me every racehorse that won the Melbourne Cup, and I didn't think <laughs> it was actually useful information, but he knew it. You know? He knew every cricket score from Don Bradman, well before Trump, I to get it. You know. 
Yeah. I, I didn't take up the same level of interest. <laughs> but, uh, you know. hey, it's it, it's really been interesting speaking with you on our program this morning. Thank you for coming on. I hope it's not the last time. I'm sure there'll be other things to talk about. But uh, that was really uh, interesting. So thanks so oh, much. I hope my view is of interest to some people, even if they come back and attack me. Yeah, that's, that's the good thing. We should have dialogue. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now, they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.